now I'd like to invite Dan up to speak. Um, we're starting a new series this morning called Drift No More. So let's just pray for him as we start. God, thank you that you are here. Holy Spirit, you are here and you want to meet us this morning. I pray, God, for Dan as he speaks that that will just be the core of all of this. That Holy Spirit, you are here and you want to meet us and you want to draw us close to you. I pray for the words he speaks, um, for the preparation is done, that all that might come out is you and your heart this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. As Natalie has just so loved, well said, we are in the season of Lent. And the season of Lent means there might be a few of you who are fasting, might be a few of you who have abstained from something, you're withdrawing from things that you normally lean on and things you normally do, so that you can engage with the coming Easter story well. And as a community, for this next several weeks as we track towards Easter and Easter Sunday, we want to lean into that gritty nature of Lent as a community. And to lean into that gritty nature, then I want to ask you to lean in with us into a slightly more gritty series. So this series, um, I'm afraid, it's kind of got an abstinence of humor. There won't be many jokes. I will try and lighten it up as best as I can. It might feel a little heavy. might feel a little weighty. Well, hey, welcome to Lent. Welcome to a season that invites us to consider things deeply, richly, and well. You know, I'm not trying to be morbid. I'm not trying to paint a downer here. I'm just trying to say, let's lean into the fact that this, this is a bit of a weightier moment, because that's what Lent does. And so the text today that I want to read with you is from the book of Hebrews. Could we stand for the reading of scripture this morning? And I, I wonder if there's a volunteer who might like to just come and uh, be our reader this morning and read Hebrews 2. It's up there, so you can just read off the slide, but do I have a taker? Is someone... Willing to come and be our reader this morning. Amy, thank you so much. So this is the word of God for us today. Thank you, Amy. From Hebrews 2, verse 1 to 4. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm, and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think that we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak. And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. This is the word of God for us today. Grab a seat. Thank you so much. Tom Wright in his commentary on the book of Hebrews comments on this passage we have just read, and he says a few things I want to show you as we get started. Tom Wright says this, each of us needs to ask ourselves from time to time whether we are the drifting type or whether we are going forward day by day, year by year, paying closer attention to the message, 
not assuming we know it all and can coast along from here on. He concludes his commentary by saying this, what evidence is there in your own life and in your church that the gospel message of Jesus is true and powerful? What evidence is there among your life and this community that this thing we keep talking about Jesus doing is actually happening? If you find that question difficult to answer, says Tom Wright, he says, could it be because you or your church have begun to drift, ignoring the royal message to which you should be paying closer attention? Could it be that if we cannot answer that question with some evidence, we have found ourselves drifting? Could it be that if we cannot answer that question, we have some work to do? This probing question from Tom Wright is what we want to spend our Lenten season looking into. That it may provoke something in us. My prayer, pastorally, is that this season would provoke something beautiful in you. This is not a condemnation. This is not weight upon your shoulders. This is not something heavy and shameful saying you're not doing good enough. That's not the, that's not the tone here. The tone is, from this text, could we find ourselves drifting? Let that provoke you today. Are we drifting? And why does that even matter? This is a book called The Great Dechurching. I read it late last year. And in it was some interesting research that I just want to convey to you very, very quickly. The authors have taken research from the last 30 years. So when did Friends come out? 1994, 1995? In the lifetime since Chandler Bing and Monica, this is when the statistics for this has uh, been drawn from. This is not like, let's go back to the 70s and the 80s. This is just from mid-90s to today. In the last 30 years, 40 million Americans have left main, mainstream American Christian churches. 40 Million. So there was the Great Awakening in America, number one. There was the Great, American, Great Awakening, number two. There was Billy Graham and all of the work Billy Graham did around the world. All those numbers combined don't even equal 40 million. Two of the greatest revivals and renewals to, to touch American soil and all of the work that one of the greatest evangelists of the last hundred years did and all of those numbers still don't touch what this number is. 40 million Christians have left churches in America in the last 30 years. They go to say this, 10 million are what they call casualties in the, re in the research. They're casualties because of things like moral failures in leadership, loss of integrity in the church, trauma, hurt, genuine things that have happened that are on the table that mean people got hurt and walked away. So one quarter of the 40 million are casualties due to these failing, failings and traumas. Legitimate things that should be placed on the table and should be talked about and should be conveyed. And today I'm not brushing them aside at all. This is part of the statistics. This is part of the research. 40 million people have left. One in four is because of a very legitimate hurt. But 
30 million have left in what they call casuals. They've left. Why? Because of this. The secular vision of life overtook their Christian one. So one in four have left because of a legitimate reason of pain. Three in four have left because they just simply drifted out of life. Phones replaced prayer times. Socializing with friends on Sunday mornings replaced regular church attendance. A busy work schedule replaced attendance in a small group. Sports teams replaced shared dinners. Netflix replaced Bible reading. Deconstruction replaced construction. Deforming replaced formation. And establishing connections replaced, sorry, de-establishing connections replaced finding community. The sad point is in the research, 30 million of the 40 million have left because they've simply just drifted away. What is drift? Drift is to be carried away from an intended place. So, if I have a boat, I don't, but if I had one and I parked it, is that the right term? Probably not. I moored it, thank you. Thank you, Nancy. If I moor my boat and I put an anchor down, I left the boat there, I've anchored it, I intend for it to stay there. Come what may, come the, the calm and the beautiful blue day or come the storm and the gray skies and the rain and the wind. Come the change of tide, come the onset of a current. I want my boat to stay there. We get that, right? I intend to leave it there. I intend it to stay there. So I have anchored it. So what could this be in relation to faith? Maybe you're sitting here today and you are experiencing this or have experienced this. Maybe you're in the middle of it right now. Maybe you have a friend or maybe you have a family member who's going through it. Let, let Let me sort of shape this up for you. I know for me, in the last couple of years of my life, something has gone And something has disappeared from where it used to be red hot. My faith just doesn't seem to be where I left it. My faith sometimes does not seem to be where I intend for it to be. You know, the winds of individualism have blown. The waves of cynicism have lifted and fallen. The tides of my busyness have turned. Or maybe the like fog of isolation has come and set in. And so my faith seems to have gone a little cold. Ah, those words in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, I know them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing for me to learn here anymore. I'll skip this bit of the Bible reading plan. Thank you very much. My relationships seem to have gone a little shallow. Why didn't I get so many messages on my birthday this year, I wonder? Do I actually have friends who know me and care for me? Uh, I don't really have the energy to get to that occasion of such and such on Saturday night. I'll just leave it. My vitality and practices seems to be waning My Sabbath 
didn't really seem to be going as well as it has in previous years. Why is it I've bought a new prayer journal and there's only two pages filled out since January? Where actually did I put my prayer journal? My life in the gospel story is eroding. I mean, I, I would lean into what the king and his kingdom is doing. I would. I would say yes. I would be that person of radical sacrifice. But I actually have got a few things I've got to do for myself first. My schedule is booked up with a couple of important things. I think I'll do those first. I mean, so much for dying to self. Because we are well and truly keeping self alive, aren't we? self preservation at all costs and so much for the kingdom being that we seek it first well first instead becomes an afterthought a second thought a third thought a fourth thought no sacrificial or radical yes first if I can fit it in I might and so much for the church being this deep community that I can be known in and discovered in instead it's become this like awkward exchange of being ghosted I'm not too sure if that person even knows who I am anymore. And so much for some solid story of the gospel where there was once a beautiful and treasured picture that had pride of place on the wall of my life. I have slowly stripped it piece by piece. And it sits now as a confetti on the floor. What used to be in that frame, I wonder? What was that picture? that had been so glorious to me once. That's the picture of the great de-churching. That's what it feels like. If we're honest, it's probably the story for so many of us. It's the story for so many of our friends. It's the story for some of those that we love dearly. It was not this big, vibrant moment that took them out. It was this slow Drifting away. Drift has taken us away from where we have intended to be. And the drift has settled in and it's begun to do its destruction. And eventually there is no beautiful picture of the gospel. There is no vibrant community where we are known. There is no habits that we've committed to shape the loves that are deformed inside of us. There is no Christ who is Lord. The reality is, drift has carried us off. So what do we do about it? If I'm naming something for you right now, please just lean in with me. Do not be afraid. Uh, Ronald Rollheiser says that prophecy is to name now just as much as it is to talk about the future. Maybe I'm prophesying to you right now. Maybe I'm naming to you how life is feeling. Well, this could be the word of God for you today. What is the answer? How do we stop life in drift? Do we stop the storms? No. No, we can't stop the storms. It's not in our power to do so. Do we, do we stop the cultural waves that keep hitting us? Oh, that'll be nice. That's a lot of work. So no. No, I don't think we do that either. Do we just get out of the water? Do we just say, you know what? It was nice for a while. I've put my boat here, but I would like to now park my boat up on the driveway. Thank you very much. No. 
No, that is not where a boat is meant to be. So what do we do? Well, I want to propose we need to find our tethering points again. And in finding them, we need to know how to use them. We need to find what to connect to and use it well and intentionally. There's this remarkable story, maybe you know it, of the USS Constitution. And it's a tale of bravery and it's a, it's a tale of innovation and it's a courageous, courageous story. It talks about sailors amongst the, the seas of war off the coast of the United States in 1812. So imagine yourself on this majestic big boat. Imagine yourself on there as the crew. Sails are billowing in the wind as it navigates the treacherous water off the coast of New Jersey. The year is 1812. The United States finds itself locked in conflict with Great Britain, and the USS Constitution is under the command of your captain, Isaac Hull. And it's facing a formidable challenge. A squadron of British ships is hot on its heels. See them in the corner? But Captain Hull is not one to surrender easily. Surrender is not his option. So faced with the unfavorable winds and the looming threat of enemy capture, he turns to a daring solution. The solution is called kedging. It's an ancient technique and it's rarely employed in the heat of battle, but it holds the key as to whether the ship is gonna get out of its problem. So with the enemy closing in, the crew springs into action and they get in their long boats and they row out in front of the boat and they haul mighty um, anchors out with them and they drop anchors ahead of the large boat. And then the large boat draws off those anchors and pulls itself forward. It moves off the tethering points. It uses the tethering points to get some momentum going. And sweat drips from the brows of the crew. Muscles are straining and groaning, but their resolve remains unshaken. The big boat is moving away from danger. And as cannon fire echoes across the waves and the British ships keep seeming to close in closer, the crew of the Constitution refuse to yield. Inch by inch, they gain ground. They keep moving forward. Inch by inch, they make their way to the safety of the open waters. And then, in a moment of triumph, the USS Constitution breaks free from the clutches of its pursuers. It's ahead enough and windy enough, and they leave the British squadron in its wake. Victory is theirs. How? Earned through courage and perseverance and an ancient technique called kedging, where they used tethering points and pulled themselves to safety. Drifting at sea is not what they chose. Using the tethering points was what they chose. And yes, it was hard work, but it got them out of the troubled waters. And I wonder if there's an element of this metaphor that is speaking to you today. I wonder if there's an element here that might be even correcting something false that you think about when you think about your work with God. The church has been in troubled waters, but it is not time to just keep drifting. It is time to kedge. It is time to get some anchors out and some straps out and to, with some sweat and effort, move ourselves 
to the places we're meant to be. Now, a reminder that I want to give you, because you're like, this sounds like a lot of hard work, Dan, and I'm not up for hard work. I want to remind you of a great truth from the philosopher Dallas Willard. He says this, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. See, so many of us think so incorrectly about God's grace on our life. Yes, I'm not saying anything here about you earning something from God. I'm speaking into the effort that is needed for us to not drift away from that great grace we have discovered. I'm speaking into the complacency that might creep up and rob us. I'm speaking to the cynicism that may be eroding our view of hope. I'm speaking about that uh, eroding individualism that takes us away from this great community of faith that we have been brought into by our salvation. Dallas Willard is not saying you have to do this to earn. But he is saying there will be some work to do as you put effort in with your life with God. And I think what I'm speaking to here is in the wake of the USS Constitution sailors, we will experience life as we put in the sweat. We will experience goodness as we put in the mahi. What's your saying? Do the mahi, get the treats. It is a good thing and a beautiful thing to be part of a faith that is active and at work. Again, I'm not saying to earn, but I am saying effort is a good thing. Today's reading from Hebrews, you might have forgotten it, but let me go back to this moment here. Today's reading from Hebrews reminds us and asks of us, are you tethered to the great work that God has done in the world? Are you tethered to the gospel, the message, as it said in Hebrews? Let us not forget it or we may drift away, said Hebrews 2 verse 1. Are we drifting disciples or are we tethered disciples? I can't answer that for you. I can't. But it's a question I want to ask. This Lenten season, as we lean into the grittiness of our faith, may I remind you in four weeks, we are about to celebrate that God was killed. That's gritty. That's not nice. That's not Sunday school stuff. That's provocative. As we lean towards that, let us prepare our hearts for that provoking nature. Okay, God, that's uncomfortable. Well, what's uncomfortable in my life now that you're calling me towards? If you want to become a tethered disciple, my proposal is that we need to have four tethering points that we are kidging off. Four tethering points that we know and are using well. For this series, for the next four weeks, we're going to explore each of these. So next week, we're going to start with the first tethering point. Tethering point number one, Christ, who is the life giver. We're going to start there. Jesus, who came to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's our first tethering point. We're going to start there next Sunday. Tethering point number two, the church. 
this life-giving community, this community where the life of the kingdom is meant to be bursting out and we are aware of it. Number three, tradition, life-giving practices and habits that will shape us into life-giving people. And tethering point number four, on Easter Resurrection Sunday, we're going to talk about the gospel, the story, this life-giving picture that has been given to humanity. Not that it may be shredded up on the floor, but that it may be put pride of place in a frame of our lives where we see it well and live towards its glory. So that's where we're going to go for the next four weeks. Today's just the setup to get us going. But that's what we're going to be doing. Next Sunday, if this is pricking your interest, we are going to be sitting here talking about how do we tether to the life giver? When I look at my life, so much of it is not life giving. When I look at my life, I am so dissatisfied by so many things. So how do I tether my life to the one who came to say, I will give you life abundant? How do we do that? That's next Sunday. But today, as we finish, I want to offer three pastoral thoughts, because I'm aware there'll be a lot of us sitting in the room at different levels of all of these things, different moments are happening. So I want to offer three little pastoral thoughts. Pastoral thought number one, pastoral offering number one, if you are drifting, if that is the sudden reality today, oh my gosh, what he has just described is naming something. Well, in a few minutes, we're actually going to open up a space for people to be prayed for. And we would love to pray for you. We would love to minister to you. But before we do that, may I just offer you one pastoral offering. If we're having coffee right now and you said to me, Dan, I'm lost. I'm floating. I have no idea what to do. I would just simply say to you this. Well, then come and be tethered. Come and discover it. I do not have a single little silver bullet to offer you. I do not have a quick fix to offer you. Complex problems probably means some complex answers. But start the journey. Turn towards being a tethered disciple. Maybe even just naming it today is the first step of starting to discover that. So if you are drifting, in a few moments we'd love to pray with you and we'll go through that in a few moments. But I want to offer you something. Could you write somewhere meaningful for you? Maybe it's in a note on your phone. Maybe it's in the front page of a new journal. Maybe it's, I don't know, write it on your mirror in lipstick or something. Just write a reminder that says, I want to be tethered. I don't want to drift anymore. Second offering. Pastoral offering is number two. Are you tethered well? which I find an interesting thing to ask because I think none of us can actually say yes fully to that. But let's just be optimistic. Are you tethered well? Well, what should you do? I want to invite you to two things that I think are really important for this next month. Number one, would you be a person of prayer? Would you be a person of prayer for this moment we find ourselves in as a community and what we're naming for the greater reality of what's going on around us? Would you pray like you've never prayed before for those who are drifting? Would you pray like you've never prayed for before for those that seem to be disappearing? Like if there's faces coming to your mind right now, names coming into your heart of people that are in the picture we've just scoped, not in a judgmental way, but in a grief way of like, oh yeah, where, where have they gone? Where have they gone from life with Jesus and the kingdom? Where have they gone from church? Where, where, where are they now? 
If that's a face coming to mind, a name coming to mind, my invitation is this. Please pray. Because it's not some sexy sermon series that's going to be bringing people back. It is a move of the Spirit of God. And we need to lean into that as our great hope for this moment. For He is the wind who will fill the sail. He is the one who will turn the tide. He is the one who will help the boat to find safety again. So pray. Please pray. And so I want to invite you to something. Please, like I invited people who are drifting to write something down, would you be so bold to do something for me? Would you write a person's name down? And would you commit to praying for them for the rest of Lent? Just for the rest of Lent. We've already begun, we're a week and a bit in, but for the rest of Lent until Easter, would you commit to praying every day for that name or that face or that family or that whole group of people? I don't know what's coming to mind for you. Please pray. Number two, I want to invite you to bring courage to this story. The word encourage literally means to put your courage into somebody. To encourage is to give them the courage they don't have. And I think amongst this drifting time, a lot of people have lost their courage. And did you notice how in that story about the USS Constitution, what was it that drove them to get sweaty behind the oars of those longboats? What was it that, that drove them to pull on those cables? I think it was a call to courageousness and to courage. Courage was deep in them, pouring out. And if you've got courage to spare, look for someone and start to encourage them back home. Number three, the last one, and I've thought about this one all week. Now, I'm not the kind of person who often gets up in front of this community and says, thus says the Lord. I'm not the kind of person that says, hey, here's the great prophetic vision, everybody. But I do have a sense that this one this week is important. My question is this. It is it's great. It is awesome to go into those environments where faith is alive and well, isn't it? Like it's awesome to go to some event or some moment or a festival and like all the dials are turned to 10. And you do this, you walk around and go, God is here. Don't you? Do you guys know the moments I mean? Like it might've been at a festival or an Easter camp or it might've been at, um, I don't know, a big prayer meeting or I don't know what it is, but you have those moments and you go, wow, God is here. I want to ask you to reframe something for me. Rather than finding the great work of God in a place, could you find it in the work of what is going on amongst some people? And in that, I wonder if those who are drifting are starting to come home is the great renewal that God is pouring out upon the world. What if those who are drifting and have disappeared and deconstructed and become cynical and it's all broken and it's all for nothing, what if there's something about that shift turning back towards the kingdom? You know, I find it really interesting that Michael Gungor, who has spent the last decade deconstructing very publicly on his podcast, has now spent the last six months trying to find life in a church again. I have friends who have spent the last 20 years being Michael Gungors, and they're asking me, it actually didn't measure up. 
I want to come home. How do I do it? And I'm walking them bit by bit, personal to personal, bit by bit. Here's how you do it. Come on, keep reconstructing that thing. Come home. Jesus left the 99 for what? To go after the one. What if our ones are those that have just drifted away? And so what I'm inviting you to is not just a moment for your own faith. What I'm inviting you to is something of mission. I'm inviting you to something that God might be doing amongst a generation. A generation who have been known for their deconstruction. What if that deconstruction wave is, what if that tide is turning and something is coming back in towards the shore? And so I have a benediction for you and then I'd love Donald and the the team to come and join me. We're going to sing a simple chorus a little bit together and then we're going to invite some people to come and receive prayer this morning. But later on in the book of Hebrews, 10 chapters later, there's a really fascinating moment in chapter 12 of Hebrews. I don't know if you know Hebrews very well. But in Hebrews 12, there's this fascinating thing where what happens is basically... Uh, the writer says that, you know, we've been swept up into this new moment with God. God has done an amazing work. And because of this new work, there's a new reality for us to see. And in verses 12 through to 13, it says this. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Now he's quoting Isaiah. It's, it's, it's echoing Isaiah. Isaiah has a very similar moment. But what if, what if this is the kind of work that God is inviting us to? Some of us in the room right now your hands are tired. And the word of the Lord to you this morning is strengthen. Strengthen. Take a new grip and come and participate. Why? So that all, all can start to experience what God is doing. And then the next bit of Hebrews is stunning. This verse kind of pivots it, you see. And if you read it yourself in your quiet time this week, you'll see it. There's this little this moment the author of Hebrews says, so do we come to this mountain to experience God? No. And he names about six of them. No, we come to the living city. No, we come to Christ. No, we come to God. No, we come to the church. No, we come to the, the ones who the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon. And so the writer of Hebrews gives us this vision to remind us again, this is who you come to. And so my efforts this morning have been this. Drifting is a reality amongst the church. But what picture are you going to see? What picture do you want to see? And what are you going to do about it? And with that, let us set off in Lent to consider how we anchor ourselves to four important tethering points. Christ, His church, the habits that the church has given us to have our faith formed fully. And lastly, the gospel story, this amazing story, a reality for us to see that it may reframe all of our lives. Amen? Etu. Etu with me. And uh, the team are going to lead us 
in a simple little phrase, a simple song. Nat, can you put up the song lyrics for us, please? Um, it's a simple chorus out of a song called The Hymn of the Holy Spirit. And it just says, you're the light, you're the path, you're the shepherd of my soul. All I am, all I have. Jesus, lead me on. And I think what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say in chapter two for us today is that we can forget too easily what the main message is that we've been given. And so I just want us to be reminded of that this morning. Um, We're gonna sing for a little bit and then just in a moment, what I wanna do is invite those of you this morning who want prayer to come forward. And, And in doing that, I don't know what that might be. You might be resonating with the naming of the moment you find yourself in. Love to pray with you. You might be finding yourself thinking, I don't know where it happened, I don't know why it happened, but for some reason, man, I have just, I have just gone cold. And I, I want to change that story. Well then, I'd love to see you come forward for prayer. Maybe you are a person who um, has a person who is like leaping in your heart this morning as you think about this. It's almost like an intercessory thing. It's like there's something in you that's almost burning as you think about them. And it's, can I just name it? It's the burning of love. You love them. And when you love somebody and God's compassion fills your body like that, He is moving you towards seeing them and praying for them and living your life towards them, that you may love them greater. And I just wonder if the Holy Spirit wants to fan into flame some of that for us this morning. That there might be some of us and there's like a little bit of an intercessory thing. The Lord's calling you to that. It might be for people, groups. It might be for a person. And lastly, I just wonder if there's a thing in the room this morning about the mission of this church, serving a moment that is in the world. And you're like, I'm I'm out for that. I want to see that happen. We'd love to pray for you as well. So there's a lot in there. Um, but I think it's important that we respond in that way. So, uh, Donald, why don't you just lead us? Let's sing. When we sing, these are our prayers together. When we sing, this is not karaoke. This is us praying together. It's a funny line when the Psalms are prayers and the Psalms are songs. Well, let that line just blur a little bit more. We are singing a prayer. Let's sing it together a few times, and then we'll see who wants to be prayed for. So, Donald, lead us on, buddy.